0: welcome to the Radical News Radio Hour with Serene Saad. You're listening to WFNU LP, St. Paul Frogtown Community Radio 94.1 FM. Thanks to Manny Mastis for that opening music. And just a reminder that you can find this show on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at CMiriam. That's C-M-I-R-I-A-M. And you can listen to previously aired episodes of the Radical News Radio Hour on Spotify, Google Podcasts, amongst many other podcast sites. You can also reach our show at RadicalNewsRadioHour at gmail.com with tips, recommendations, and any questions. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the last minutes of the 2020 Legislative Special Session that ended with all major legislation uncompleted. As well as the city of St. Paul's ban on conversion therapy. Just a reminder again, if you got any feedback on a story or a story tip, please email us. Again, that's the Radical News Radio Hour at gmail.com. We're going to begin today's show with the Minnesota State Legislature, which ended its 2020 special session, Sine Die, in the early hours of June 20. Legislators ended the 2020 regular session in May having not been able to come to an agreement on major pieces of legislation, including a bonding bill and a tax bill, in part because of delays caused by COVID-19 on legislative operations. In the weeks before a special session and after the regular session um, ended, George Floyd was murdered, and, as we all know, and riots broke out in Minneapolis-St. Paul. Legislators then entered the 2020 special session with the aim of not only passing a bonding bill, a tax bill, relief for small businesses impacted by COVID-19, and some other smaller pieces of legislation, but the House had also taken up um, a police accountability reform, and the Posse Caucus, that's the People of Color and Indigenous People Caucus, had introduced several pieces of legislation that we talked about on last week's show. By the last minutes of session, however, on June 20, around 6.30 a.m., The Senate had ended sine die, which just means it officially ended and it wasn't coming back, forcing the House to also adjourn with many of their special session legislative goals unmet, and with very little of the police accountability reform introduced in the House having almost never, uh, almost ever been heard in the Senate. So here's audio from the House floor as Speaker Melissa Hortman from Brooklyn Park, Majority Leader Ryan Winkler um a DFL from Golden Valley and I should say Hortman is also a DFeller and Minority Leader Kurt Dowd, a Republican from Crown Minnesota speaking in the final mom- moments of the special session.
1: messages from the Senate
2: <clears throat> message from the Senate Madam Speaker this is to notify you that the Senate is about to adjourn the special session signe die the message is signed Cal R. Ludeman, Secretary of the Senate.
1: Motions and resolutions. There are copies of the non-controversial motions at the House desk and online. If there is no objection, we will take action on these motions first. Hearing no objection, the motions prevail. Representative Winkler offers the following motion.
2: Winkler moves that the Chief Clerk be, and he is hereby instructed to inform the Senate and the Governor by message that the House of Representatives is about to adjourn the 2020 Special Session sine die.
1: Representative Winkler.
3: Madam Speaker, Members, the Senate has adjourned sine die. There is no further business that the House can conduct on its own. And so, Members, we reluctantly make the motions to uh, take the steps to adjourn this Special Session sine die.
1: All those in favor of the Winkler motion to inform the Senate and the Governor we are about to adjourn, signy die. please say aye. aye. Those opposed, please aye. say no. The motion prevails. Representative Winkler makes the following motion.
2: <clears throat> Winkler moves that the Chief Clerk be and he is hereby authorized to correct and approve the Journal of the House for the 2020 Special Session for today, Friday, June 19, 2020, and that he be authorized to include in the journal for today any subsequent proceedings.
1: Representative Winkler.
3: Uh, Madam Speaker, this is an essentially technical motion. I ask for your support.
1: All those in favor of the Winkler motion to allow the Chief Clerk to correct the record, please say aye. 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 Those opposed, please say no. The motion prevails. Representative Winkler.
3: Uh, Madam Speaker, I move that the House do now adjourn sine die.
1: Representative Winkler moves that the House do now adjourn this special session sine die. The member from St. Louis, Representative liss Lagarde.
2: Thank you, Madam Speaker. Um, I stand before you extremely disappointed that we were not able to uh, fulfill the obligation that I felt that we should have been able to do, and that is to provide the necessary fundings to our communities. And I would ask that, however we make this happen, that we come back in here and we do the work for the people. Because I gave my word. And my word was not fulfilled today. And that is very
4: disturbing to me. Thank you.
1: The member my ISANTE, Representative Doubt.
4: Thank you, Madam Speaker and members. Uh, it is, uh, first I should say, good morning. Um, as we come to the end of a very, very long legislative day uh, and come to the end of a legislative uh, special session, um, which wasn't particularly special, uh, it actually reminds me a bit of 2020, so it's probably pretty fitting. Um, but it is, and I agree with Representative Liz Lagarde, a, a disappointment. Um, i think overnight there were glimmers of hope uh there were some things that were worked on uh representative uh, excuse me madam speaker i uh, appreciate uh the good working relationship that we have and and you know i uh in the governor's office yesterday early afternoon laid a scenario on the table that i thought could work and i think we spent Uh, most of the next probably, what, 18 hours now? (laughs) Uh, Whatever it is, uh, trying to put together that agreement. I actually thought we were there overnight. Um, It was a pretty simple agreement that would have gotten some basic things done, um, including the 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 funding to our local units of government, which I think was just an absolute necessity. Um, And it included some, some spending things that the governor wanted, pared back, but uh, some things that I think, frankly, in these times probably need to be done even when we have a deficit. Uh, The the, uh, governor's office did come up with some savings in their budget, not as much as I had hoped, but they were able to find and have found so far uh, about $58 million worth of uh, reductions in spending in the current biennium. Um, that will offset our two and a half billion dollar deficit. I, I, I think we can, and I think we must go further than that um, and, I, and I do think we 'd probably have a little bit of spending that we need to do, um, but unfortunately, uh, whatever happened overnight, and I have to tell you i don 't know what happened overnight. Um, caucuses seemed to go back in their corners and things got very quiet and and when that happens it it usually tells me that there was some fighting going on within caucuses uh, about what should happen or shouldn't happen and probably within parties Um, and and unfortunately uh, I think we didn't lay down our partisan hats and pick up our our Minnesota hats um, and and do the work that people sent us here to do and I I think my hope is that we'll have another opportunity to do that uh, because I think there are some important things that, that are yet to be done. Um, ultimately, I think it probably was uh, a big mistake to, to amend on uh, spending stuff onto uh, the local funding bill. Um, maybe in hindsight, we'd not do that if we went back in time, but we, we don't get the, the, the pleasure of doing that. Um, and we don't get the benefit of doing that. So I think uh, this chamber and and the legislature let down our, our cities and counties and townships that were uh, anticipating some of those local dollars uh, to, to help offset the expenses that they've already had related to COVID. Um, the governor, uh, you know, I think... As we are in our second year of a, of a new governor and, and I worked uh, you know for the full eight years with the previous governor um, and probably as closely as anybody did, and negotiated with him probably as much as anybody did, um, my observations this governor. Uh, I think is is somebody who has good intentions, but needs to engage with the legislature more, Um, needs to uh, talk with the legislature more, needs to communicate with the legislature more, and and not just in formal meetings behind closed doors where we're escorted in at an appointment time, um, but out uh, in our offices, in restaurants, in, in, in the hallways of the Capitol. Um, That was one thing that Governor Dayton uh, did fairly well was keep up the relationships around here that that really are required to get the business done that needs to happen. Um, So I had a good conversation with the governor about my concerns about the emergency powers. Um, uh, He made comments to the press uh, last night and and yesterday. I think that uh, he believes that there are legitimate concerns about the division of uh, or separation of powers. I do have uh, concerns about that. I think many of us do in here, uh, regardless of what party you're from, whether we talk about it or not. Um, I don't think the system we've been operating under with the unilateral power uh, for the last three months is healthy for this, uh, for this institution. Um, and I think uh, I suggested some changes. I'm going to do what I said I was going to do, and I'm going to work on those changes over the next days and, and week or weeks, um, and hopefully come up with a, a framework of something that can help us put everything else together. And and that's the commitment that I'm going to make. I'm going to continue to work in a positive way. I did that, I believe, the last 24 hours. I'm going to continue to do that. Um, But we need to uh, do a better job together. Uh, And and so I'm committed to doing that because we did let Minnesotans down. Um, And and, uh, I think this... uh, this is should be a learning uh, a learning uh, experience for all of us uh because this cannot happen again we 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 failed to do uh, our most basic job and and it was teed up and ready to go all night long for the last you know 12 hours and and nothing happened um i don't i'm not going to get into the blame game because i don't think it's helpful um and i i understand that what happens in these situations is people make a decision And that decision becomes, is it, do I gain more out of this by not doing something that would be good for Minnesota and blaming the other side because I gained something out of that politically? And I hope to God that that didn't happen overnight. I don't know that it did or didn't. I've sat here most of the night wondering where everybody was and why nobody was talking. Um, But we'll see how people act today when they talk to the press and whether everybody's pointing fingers. But... um, everybody should be pointing the fingers at themselves uh, and, and uh, if, if we get a chance to do this again we got to roll up our sleeves and do it differently and my suggestion is that we work between now and three weeks from now when the governor's required to call us back again and we have a, a we have all of these agreements worked out ahead of time um, and I know sometimes it takes a deadline and I think that's probably what the Senate was trying to do was create a deadline um, but uh, this should be an example that that didn't work. Um, and and so let's take the opportunity to work over the next week or, or a couple of weeks and and hammer out these differences. We were pretty close on a lot of things. We still have a tax bill to do, a bonding bill to do, um, and we've got to get this, this COVID money uh, decided. So we've got a tall order that Minnesotans have elected us to do. Um, So let's not miss that opportunity and let's work together to get it done. So uh, thank you, and and, uh, I look forward to rolling up my sleeves to work with you to get it done.
1: Majority Leader Winkler.
3: Uh, Madam Speaker, members, uh, thank you Representative Dowd, Representative Lislegard for your comments. Uh, Anger and frustration at the failure to accomplish uh, major progress on the main issues in front of us. Uh, that Minnesotans need us to take action on is certainly warranted in this situation. We came in with a COVID crisis after the uh, end of the last regular session and we continue to need to address that. We have seen the need uh, extremely starkly for significant uh, accountability and reform of our criminal justice system. We have the need to rebuild in Minneapolis and St. Paul. We need to pass a bonding bill that will create jobs and provide opportunity and build communities and infrastructures all across the state. And uh, though it's not my favorite, I understand that a tax bill is probably necessary in order to do that as well. That is the way this place is supposed to work. Uh, It is unfortunate that uh, the Senate decided that one week was all we could muster in order to begin to address these issues because quite frankly, they are much bigger than a week. Uh, Our members and your members worked extremely hard to put together a robust package on uh, police accountability, Uh, worked extremely hard to put together a rebuilding package. Uh, Bonding negotiators have been working extremely hard to find a package that can work. And this uh, CARES Act funding has been a recurring effort to find a way to get that money out when it's been sitting in uh, MMB for weeks and weeks. So the scale of work is much larger than we could possibly accomplish in one week. Uh, And so I hope that this creates a pause for us to go back, uh, reflect a little bit on the need to get the job done for the people of Minnesota. Whether uh, they're paying attention to every aspect of what we do or not, we have a vital role to play if we step up and play it. And uh, Representative Doubt and everybody else who's continued to uh, bring forward ideas and proposals, there is no reason we can't get this done. There is no reason we can't make significant uh, improvements in the lives of the people of the state all over the state regardless of background or uh, where you come from or what you look like. We can do those things. We have the capacity. We just need to have the time and dedication and uh, I hope the failure of this one week to accomplish that larger purpose is a good reminder to us to bring our best selves to the negotiations ahead.
1: Representative Winkler moves that the House adjourn this special session sine die. All those in favor please say aye. Aye. Those opposed, please say no. The motion prevails and this special session is adjourned. sine die.
0: Thanks to the uptake for that audio clip. Another special session um, is expected, by the way, to be called later in the summer. And work is expected to happen prior to that special session to negotiate the terms of the legislation being voted on. Just a reminder that in Minnesota, the governor can call a special session but the legislative bodies can end that session at their own will. For more information on the Minnesota State Legislature or how local pol- politics happen overall, feel free to reach out to this show and we'll try to answer them um, answer your questions on air. You can email us at radicalnewsradiohour at gmail.com and just a reminder that you're listening to WFNU, LP, St. Paul, Frogtown Community Radio, 94.1, FM. Up next on today's program, we're discussing the city of St. Paul's ban on conversion therapy, an often traumatic and or physically painful method of attempting to change one's gender or sexual identity or force a change, I should say, of one's gender or sexual identity. It targets members of the LGBTQA uh, community and, um, Prior to St. Paul's ban, it's been banned in Duluth and in Minneapolis. Uh, this session, during the regular 2020 regular session, legislators failed to pass a statewide ban on conversion therapy, but the city of St. Paul had introduced uh, legislation on the local level in early 2019 and just passed it last week. Here's my pre-recorded interview with out-front Minnesota organizer Jesus Lucero. Jesus lives in St. Paul and has worked for Outfront on both uh, Duluth's conversion ban as well as on faith-based organizing work.
5: Well, so
6: give me a little bit about your background. How did you, what's your work with Outfront like, and what was your work around the conversion ban?
5: Yeah, so my job at Outfront, um, I have the really great responsibility of holding uh, two spaces, one between greater Minnesota, so I get to do a lot of outreach um, specifically to the Duluth area um, and then sort of uh, between Brainerd and um, also do some work in Grand Rapids, but it's all about resource distribution um, and really just like allocating as many resources as we can to more rural areas outside of the Twin Cities. Um, as I'm sure you know, you know, the further that away that you get from the Twin Cities, the less and less amount of resources um, or support or like social services, uh, people have access to. And so part of my job um, with a queer focus is to make sure that folks um, that identify as LGBT+, plus um, also have the opportunities to engage with like-minded community, get access to the resources that they need. um, And then also just like feel seen and heard by an organization that is um, Twin Cities based, but does a lot of work around the state. just want to make sure that we're you know deeply connected with as many folks as we can be across the state and then the other part of my job is faith work Um, so I actually am the faith coordinator at Outfront and I for the last um, year and a half ish a little bit more than that now since I've been at Outfront uh, I've had the really great opportunity to work with spiritual and movement leaders that really believe that there is a radical and um, really uh, equitable foundation to religion and to spirituality. And it's really wonderful getting to work with faith leaders all across the state, because it really goes to show that, yes, there may be many ways that, again, we choose to define ourselves or many identities that we hold. Um, And it's also really amazing to see it when folks get to really claim their, their faith and spirituality Um, and the intersections between that lifestyle and um, a queer LGBT lifestyle. We also Mm -hmm. see, you know, traditionally, we've seen a lot of folks get pushed out of faith institutions that might identify as LGBT plus. Um, And we want to make sure that that's no longer the case anymore in Minnesota. So Mm -hmm. part of my work is just engaging in, you know, workshops and facilitations and getting to connect with Um, different clergy and different faith leaders, and then also doing that in just different faith settings as well. So I've been everywhere from, um, gosh, a universalist uh, uh, gathering, a town hall space, um, all the way to uh, a very staunchly Catholic, conservative, um, anti-LGBT educational space as well. Um, I've made it a point to, you know, if anybody invites me into their space, I am there. Um, If you are just willing to listen, I'm willing to talk. It's usually my approach to things that out (laughs) front. I love that. And then, yeah, sorry. And then I I know you had mentioned a little bit about um, conversion therapy work. So I just want to say that I had... Most of the conversion therapy stuff that I was involved in specifically at Outfront was um, up in Duluth. Um, So the bulk of my time this last year, pre-December, was spent um, working with Duluth organizers, Duluth um, organizations, city councilors, the mayor, to really make sure that we uh, were able to lift up this ban on conversion therapy that about two weeks. think it was about two or three weeks before we had passed it in Duluth. Um, It was passed in Minneapolis. And so part of my fight has been um, bringing along, uh, again, faith leaders and um, uh, spiritual leaders uh, into this conversation about uh, conversion therapy, because we know conversion therapy is typically also perpetrated in faith institutions. Uh, We want to make sure that we're um, uh, dividing Uh, we want to make sure that we're getting people from kind of both sides of that spectrum of folks that, um, you know, are in this faith space, um, might have grown up thinking that or believing that LGBT lives um, were not important or were not something that people wanted to fight for, um, but have come around and have started to learn about what queer identities are. uh, And then also just like working with government officials to again pass the strongest piece of legislation that we can to make sure that we are protecting as many people as we can too.
6: Wonderful. Um I remember when the conversion ban passed in, in Duluth and just how how big of a deal it was, especially for yeah. um I mean especially for just folk who, who are really struggling and and I know somebody from um myself being from a historically underrepresented background and being a kind of Mm -hmm. member of uh, immigrant community, like the the fear and challenges with conversion therapy within my own community Mm. Um, Mm. and just like that feeling of kind of relief that it's not an option anymore um, within those within those cities. Um, Why does it matter that cities like Minneapolis, St. Paul, Duluth are taking it on and I know that the legislature failed to pass legislation this year on conversion therapy. Um, Mm -hmm. For maybe people who don't know, can you talk about what conversion therapy is and can you talk about why people are talking about legislation banning it?
5: Yeah, absolutely. So conversion therapy um, at its most fundamental base is truly the practice of trying to change someone's sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender representation, uh, mostly by use of of um unpracticed uh or unlicensed um uh treatments and so i think what we traditionally have in our minds and i was a psych major i was a psych kid um in college and so i remember sitting in general psychology class you know starting to learn about conversion therapy and it was framed in this in this understanding that This is something that no longer happens. It doesn't happen to people because it's, you know, an outdated practice. We equate this practice to folks getting lobotomies. Um, Conversion therapy was pretty rampant in the 60s um, and was this radical new approach to, quote unquote, fixing gay and lesbian people. And the practice that most, most conversion therapists took was Anywhere from, you know, electroshock therapy to Ipecac treatment, um, mostly aversion therapy based work. And, uh, you know, of course, therapy is sort of loosely defined in this case, um, which is absolutely, uh, you know, it, it angers me to like my fundamental core because I know, um, getting being involved in sort of like the psychology field for for a while before I sort of found myself in this activism um, uh, organizer world. There, it's across the board. You will find it um, in any uh, like the American Psychological Association, the American Medical Association, Children's Hospital networks have all come out opposing the practice of conversion therapy. Um and mo- like most of those happening before um or sorry after the year of you know two thousand ten um you can see a lot of statements coming out for uh anti conversion therapy um medical practices and the reason that I think um people should care and, and we get this question a lot especially um and i i'm i uh I'm sad that we don't get a lot of these experiences this year, but last year we engaged in this very deep canvassing and deep petitioning um specifically at pride events all over the state of minnesota and i remember uh getting some folks signing a petition for me and they were um very confused about you know does this even still happen is this actually so you know uh happening to people in the lgbt community and people still asking you know or or uh, getting confused about what conversion therapy is and um wondering why a queer organization like Outfront is against um uh trans people getting their uh, preferred uh treatments um and that is not the case you know conversion therapy is obviously a very different thing but we have to remind people and and go in with you know prepared um rhetoric around the very adverse psychological damages that folks um take on when they when they um Execute conversion therapy as as their as their option, sort of like moving forward. Um, unfortunately, we continue to see um, statistics that project. I think it was um, uh, Williams Institute that projected that by the end of year 2019, that 700,000 um, young people under the age of 18 will undergo uh, conversion therapy in the in the United States. That's a huge amount of people. That's a lot of people getting told that they shouldn't be who they are, that they shouldn't live the life that they want to live, that they aren't worth, you know, finding happiness and finding acceptance and joy. And for 700,000 people, um, whether that's, you know, projected above or, or, you know, um, too small of an amount, that's still too many. And it makes me really scared for um, the young people that have to experience the negativity that comes with, you know, not only finding your sexual identity or your gender identity and, like, truly discovering those things, but um, having somebody that you're supposed to be able to, you know, trust and confide in, um, telling you that you're wrong or that you're different and that you shouldn't be this way, um, there's, there's a lot of damage that comes with that. And so... Out front, we were um, pre-coronavirus, pre-COVID, we um, did host uh, with our anti-violence program a really fantastic, co- like, small um, group therapy, uh, bi-weekly sessions with conversion therapy survivors, um, and I think at max, you would probably see about 15 participants, and I would say roughly uh, 50 to 60 percent of those folks that we would see bi-weekly um, were probably under the age of 30. Um, And so that, you know, when we actively see the folks in our community that are getting conversion therapy uh, put on them or they've, you know, internalized um, homophobia or um, transphobia, and because it's, you know, the only thing that they hear out in the world, um, we don't want folks to turn to conversion therapy because, you know, again, statistics, facts, science has shown us that it's not a viable option for people that are actually looking to come to terms with, you know, their gender identity or sexual orientation. Um, and it's really imperative that like the legislation that we put out there, uh, first and foremost, calls to attention the, uh, the, you know, barbarity that comes behind conversion therapy. But then also, uh, we are quick to defend the type of good therapy that we definitely want to see out in the world we want to see young people being able to talk to health professionals and mental health professionals about their bodies and their minds. And we want them to be able to for that to happen in a safe space. Um, and we in Minnesota pride ourselves so much on the excellent quality medical care that we provide for folks. And, you know, with institutions like the Mayo Clinic and and us just sort of being a, a hub for medical health here in minnesota we know that we can be doing better and we want to make sure that you know just like you said um we we were failed by our senate we were failed in 2018 and we were failed again um this year and uh we know that there are absolutely important pieces of legislation that uh our senators you know rightfully so turn their attention to especially after covid um and especially after our our liberation movement kicked off but we know that, you know, this is something that um, shouldn't be, the, the lives of, of young queer people and the lives of queer people in general should never be an issue that's debated on. Um, and we should, we deserve the right to, you know, a, a holistically healthy life that all people do, all people have access to, or should have access to, I should say. Mm-hmm.
6: So it can, I know that St. Paul wasn't your main focus of your work, but mm-hmm. just speaking the work of out front yeah what happened in St. Paul and how did that ban come to be I know that I mean I believe legislation in St. Paul or was introduced something like a year ago in 2019
5: mm-hmm. correct that is absolutely correct yeah um so I am a St. Paulite I am proudly a St. Paul person <laughs> um, I know there's a lot of divisions that come with the, uh, you know Minneapolis which side of the r- Blue river you're on Um, But I get the best of both worlds getting to work at an organization that's based in Minneapolis and living in St. Paul. Um, So the issue with St. Paul is that um, even though it is the capital of our state, uh, there are some issues, um, frankly, blaring issues with our uh, town charter. Unfortunately, the way that the town charter was set up for St. Paul, um, it removes a lot of our ability to assign uh, fines and fees. Um, as a city, and rather we have to petition the state to grant us the right to be able to do that. Um, It sounds a little weird, uh, but if you, the way that I explain this to my friends is basically, you know how in anywhere that you go, if you park somewhere accidentally that you shouldn't have parked, you might get a parking ticket. If you're going too fast, you might get a speeding ticket. Usually those powers are, you know, done by city by city, Um, but unfortunately the way that our town charter is set up in St. Paul, uh, the power was granted to us by the state of Minnesota to be able to actually give out those um, tickets. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit backwards, um, and there was two other important pieces of legislation, and I'm so sorry I'm blanking on one of them, but I know the the one that also sort of brought this issue to attention was our earn, sick, and safe time, bill uh that was proposed um and done uh an incredible amount of work by by take action
4: mm-hmm.
5: um and so urgent sick and safe time also stipulated a uh basically a ticketing system for businesses that didn't have the uh a minimum wage raise that didn't have pay time off um all of those stuff um mm-hmm. and what we ended up encountering was as easy it was as it was to get that passed in Minneapolis, we were unfortunately seeing our town charter, charter um, come to life in both, you know, this earn sick and safe time and then our bill banning conversion therapy. So we did propose it a year ago. We had um, really great conversations with um, city council representatives. Um, and I will say we found a lot of support from both city councils in, you know, or all city councils really in Minneapolis, Duluth, and in St. Paul. Um, and it was just this matter of, of bureaucracy, um, which I know is a really lame excuse, and I absolutely hate it too. And I know this is the radical radio hour. Um, I'm I'm very tired of bureaucratic systems that, again, you know, don't work for all people. Um, but this is one of those it's a it's a game that unfortunately we still have to continue playing with um with our government um there are certain things and certain you know steps that we have to make sure to take in order for our legislation to you know be again the strongest and the, the toughest that we can make it to be um and our systems don't always help with that so that's why we experienced a little bit of a delay um it was never a, a challenge by any city councillors or any opposition. It was sort of this piece of like, yes, everybody wants this, but the how? How do we do this? How do we make sure we get this passed?
1: Mm-hmm.
5: Um, and so the our you know, our, our ban on conversion therapy went through in Saint Paul. Um and basically it's all under the stipulation that once um as far as I know, and this is sort of um uh loose information from what I hear. Um, I'm not super in tune with a lot of the St. Paul City Council um, uh, goings on from day to day, but I know there's been some talk about potentially petitioning the state to um, allow St. Paul to be able to take back some of that power in fines and fees that would, again, just make these couple of legislations that sort of like stacked up on needing a ticketing system to be a little bit stronger.
6: hmm Wonderful. Um, thank you for all of that background. I think that's really important that we know how these things happen. And, and I do think that it's really important we understand how things like city charters impact mm-hmm. our capacity to um, build equity in community. I mean, I know in Minneapolis, they can't, you know, there's been commitments to defund policing there by city mm-hmm. council members, but the city charter is mm-hmm. stands in the way of a lot of that, a lot of that commitment. And so I think understanding how those things actually happen allows us to understand how to actually move through these processes. Mm-hmm. Um, what's next? Um Last question. What's next for yeah. the movement to um, ban conversion therapy in Minnesota?
5: Yeah, that's a great question. Um So we are fears- fearlessly continuing to fight. Um We know that special session has ended um, on last Friday, and we, just like many other organizations and people in Minnesota, um, are frustrated by the inaction that we saw on behalf of a lot of our GOP senators, Um, but we are uh, continuing to fight for conversion therapy in this coming um, legislative session. We will be, uh, unfortunately, we have to go through the same processes of, you know, introducing it in the House and then waiting for it to be introduced in the Senate and go through all of that formal process again. Um, what we did see this this time going through is that uh, we continue to gain more and more support from, um, you know, mental health practitioners, queer Minnesotans, um, conversion therapy survivors. Um, and then just, you know, allies who continue to want to see the end of, of a practice like conversion therapy um, here in our state of Minnesota. And so we're continuing to, you know, build out um, a fantastic support base and movement base for these, what we hope, and we're keeping our fingers crossed, will eventually, you know, the, the moment we, we get back, can get back to the Capitol and host rallies and events and, And so we we just want to make sure, you know, to to get folks um, tuned into the plethora of uh, fantastic events and resources that we have to offer. Um, And so I always encourage people to check that stuff out on our outfront.org website um, Mm -hmm. and to just uh, check out any, you know, future events or any rallies that you might be interested in. We always have um, um, a bunch of different actions happening at the same time. Uh, but our our we're not letting up. We know that we're very close to winning our ban on conversion therapy, um, and it's just you know the extra piece of force, the extra email, it's the extra petition signature, um, and so we encourage folks to continue to fight with us. We know it's been now uh, a two and a half year process, and um, unfortunately, as you and I, you and I know, uh, again the the bureaucracy gets in the way, and so. Um, it's going to take, it's a a slow burn, but it's going to be really satisfying to see it um, get passed in the end statewide.
0: Thanks to Jesus for speaking with me about the city of St. Paul's ban on conversion therapy. For more information on Outfront's work, please check out outfront.org. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. Just a few announcements before I let you go. Uh, The Uptake, where I work as executive director, um, is going to be offering two community journalism trainings online in July. The first will be July 11 from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m., and the second will be July twenty third from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. It's pay what you can with lots of free tickets available. Um, You can email me at radicalnewsradiohour at gmail.com to receive registration information. The Uptake has sponsored this first month of episodes. As for other community events, on June 28 at 11 a.m., Take Back Pride, Justice for George, Flo- George Floyd, Defend Black Trans Folks will be held at 400 Hennepin Avenue. The event is sponsored by Twin Cities Coalition for Justice for Jamar, Women Against Military Madness, Communities United Against Police Brutality, and over a dozen other community organizations. On June 26, the March for Breonna Taylor is happening from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. at Powderhorn Park. And on June 29, at the Eastside Freedom Library, a favorite of mine and this show, from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m., Tom O'Connell will be in discussion with esteemed artist organizer Ricardo Levens Morales in an event titled Learning from the Past, Fighting for the Future. You can check out all of those events on Facebook and you can always email the uptake, or I should say, the Radical News Radio Hour for the information about the uptake's trainings. For now, thank you for listening to the Radical News Radio Hour. You can reach us at RadicalNewsRadioHour at gmail.com. You can find us at JournalismOfColor.com. And you can listen to all episodes of this show on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocketcast, and several other pod, uh, podcast platforms. Thanks to Manny Mastas for this episode's opening and closing theme music. And for now, you're listening to WFNU, LP, St. Paul, Frogtown Community Radio, 94.1 FM.